There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Welcome to the Power Chord Hour podcast. How you doing out there? As always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, welcoming you to another episode of the show. And I got to say, quite a late episode of the show. My apologies. You know, I tend to, uh, I don't even tend to, I just about always get these out on either a uh, Sunday or Monday. I mean, they're very, uh, you know, just very uh, beginning of the week. And uh, I had this week's guest, which uh, you'll hear the interview here in a second, but uh, Scott Radinsky of Poli, of uh, you know former MLB relief pitcher, um, owned an amazing skateboard museum. His, you know was in ten foot pole there for a while. Has done a bunch of things and an amazing, amazing man. Um, but we were uh, supposed to do an interview like a week or so ago, and we had to reschedule it. So we really didn't get to do this. Um, this is being released. This should come out Saturday night, probably. Yeah, this should be out like Saturday night. And uh, we recorded this Thursday evening. So, uh, you know, not terribly long ago. It did air on the radio show last night, which that normally doesn't happen. Normally, I just released the podcast before I aired on the radio show. But this week, a little different. So if you listen to the radio show, you got to hear it a little early yesterday. But uh, I wanted to get it out because we will still have a guest. See, that's the thing. I And look at how good, like, you don't even pay for this. This is some great entertainment that you don't even pay for. And I could have just held out, been really lazy, and just waited like a day or two and just went, this is next week's episode. But you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm going to release this as this week's episode because it's still Saturday and it's still whatever the hell week you want to call this. It's July 16th. But I'm still going to give you one on a Monday. And I'm looking forward to that one with uh, Danny and David of the band No Win. They are a really, really good band. And uh, if you listen to the radio show, I've been playing them it's insane, and I, was, I already recorded this. I recorded it literally an hour after I uh, did this here interview with Scott Radinsky that you're about to hear. I then got on uh, StreamYard and uh, chatted with uh, half of the band. Or actually, really, they're a trio now, so really uh, two-thirds of uh, No Win. And uh, Danny and David were both really, really rad. And, uh, yeah, it, it was insane, though. I was telling them because I feel like I just discovered them off their last record, Downey. But then I remembered it was 2019. Like, it's been a little while. And uh, crazy to think that. But I've been playing them on the radio show since, uh, yeah, since 2019, back in my Minneapolis days. So, uh, you know, it was really cool to get to talk to them. They were uh, funny dudes and uh, really cool. So that will be out also, like, Monday or something like that. But anyway, I'm going to shut up about that. I'm getting, like, way ahead of myself. And I always talk about how I hate long intros. But uh, me and Scott just got right into this, so I thought I would jump on real quick because this goes right into the conversation. So uh, I thought this sounded a little more natural than me just starting the show with, uh, you know, with a, like an intro-less uh, interview. But this is me with Scott Radinsky talking the golden life with the front man of Poli right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. As far as, uh, you know, songs off the new record, assuming you guys played some off there, was that the first time you got to play some songs off this new album live? Was that was that kind of the introduction of those? Assuming you it, played loose songs live, it it was the first time. Yeah, we did. Uh, we played, I'd say, a good handful of songs live um, of the new ones. Um, I don't know if they went over well. I don't know if anybody really knew what they were, but but it was good for us to get on stage and play them, and um, that that was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
that's cool. I mean, it's a, uh, I, I feel like that's probably the way with everyone where if you don't know the songs yet, cause, uh, there are some good live ones on here. I, I think once people, uh, probably one of those things next time they see you, once they know the album a little more, it's like, Oh hell yeah. Now we're, now we're excited for those songs. Now we know them a little better. Kind of how it goes with every record. You know, you just, you, you gotta do it. You don't have a choice. You gotta play the new songs and, and at some point you gotta try to win people over and, and hit them up again with them. And, 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 you know, like I said, you know, when you when you uh, when you jam the songs and then record them, it, it feels good to play them live in front of people. And like I said, the reaction might not have been they might have stood there and kind of said, well, what's this? But I, at least I know they sounded well. And we performed them well. And, and um, hopefully we just keep doing that. Yeah. You got to bust out the new ones eventually. You know, it, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, for a band like Poly, I mean, you've been around for 25 plus years now. You have quite a few albums to pick from. I mean, at this point in your career, is the set list a difficult thing to put together? Because you have a lot to choose from. There's, on top of, like you said, you got to play the new songs, but you have a huge back catalog to, like, really compile that set list. I mean, is that ever a, is that ever difficult to, like, put one together? Um, we, we do have, you know, a good amount of songs to choose from, but I think over the years we've narrowed down what songs were good live, what songs weren't good live, and, and so we've kind of got that assortment to choose from, but for us, it's more of uh, kind of switching up the order just to kind of make it interesting for us, you know, try to link certain songs together and, and kind of put together a little bit of a show. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the songs, unfortunately, we, we don't play live and we really never did. They were kind of a one-time thing and we, we, we rehearsed them, recorded them and, and either tried to play them live and they just didn't go over well, they didn't sound well or something. But I guess we've narrowed it down over the years. So no, to answer your question in short, it's probably not that difficult to come up with a set. No. You know, the it, what's kind of interesting too, like you were saying that there's some, you know, some songs work really well live, some don't. Do you know that you have to play a song live to figure out if it'll translate live well? Or is it something you can kind of tell even when you guys are in a rehearsal space, just playing together, you go, okay, this is going to translate to a live audience. Or is that something you can't know until you actually do it? I think we attempt them, um, you know, like I know we try to mix in a few new songs every once in a while. So on every record, when we start playing on it, we try to incorporate a few new songs into the set and you just get a feeling right away what you know, either us together on stage knowing musically it doesn't really sound that good. Or, you know, after a few attempts, we just realized that the people just it wasn't just wasn't wasn't hitting them right. Wasn't so, going. yeah, there's, it, I don't know how to. I really don't know what the right word is to say how we determine that, but um, yeah, we just start eliminating things and um, kind of narrow it down by uh, by response, I guess. It's going from that, you know, like like I was saying earlier, I feel like I feel like the album came out at a good time. I mean, it's it's just a great like I I always like a summertime record, like just you know driving down the road, nice day, windows down, just listening to that album. I mean, it's a it's a good one for that. I feel like Poli. Just in general, you guys are good at writing those kinds of records. I mean, was there any thought of that in releasing it now, like in the summer? Is that just coincidental that it comes out now and it's a good summertime record? I mean, is that is that a thought at all on your end? Uh, it's totally coincidental of the timing of it and released. Um, but there is a lot of thought that goes into writing happy music. Uh, a lot of thought goes into our, our covers, uh, you know, in the whole package, you know, just bright colors and just kind of making it attractive, which I guess probably goes along with spring and summer, you know, cause everything's blue and 
beautiful and it's not dreary and gray. And, um, but yeah, no, that it just, I guess we got the luck of the draw there with the timing of it and how it, when it came out. It's a great, and the, and the album cover too, it is, it, it, it's good to go. It kind of ties in with all of that. I feel like that, uh, that album cover, uh, just, it works. It works very well. Um, you know, it's, I mean, this is the first band, the band's first record since 2016. It's been a, uh, it's been a little while since No Change in the Weather came out. Like when, when did the thought of the Golden Life start? Like when did, when did you guys start thinking of that follow-up? You know, like how far back was it like, all right, maybe, maybe it's time for another one. When, when did that start coming into play for the band? Um, I guess it's just, uh, we've had some songs probably for a couple of years, but you know, once the whole lockdown started and guys were out of work, we had more time to put into it and we started just writing, um, by boredom. Um, I don't think there was any intention. We're going to, we got to make a record. It was just, we had free time. So that's kind of what we do. Um, we, we did a live stream that the audio came out pretty good and it actually ended up being a live, a live record. So, we started working with this record label spam. Uh, I think that's kind of when things started going was like, Hey, do you think you'll ever write any new material down the road? And at the time we probably had half a record's worth. And, and our reply was, yeah, I mean, we're kind of in the process of, of doing that. And they showed interest in wanting to put it out. So that kind of helped speed things up a little bit. We said, all right, we got a, we got a date, a, a recording date now and we're going to go to the studio and, that's kind of how the process started. But uh, I guess eventually we would have had enough material where we would have said, let's go in the studio and record it. But this kind of helped expedite that a little bit. Yeah. That, that I would, I would say the label kind of uh, a nice little push from a label is not a uh, bad thing for getting, getting some new music out, which is a fan. Yeah. I appreciate that. I like, I like the little, uh, the little pushing on their part. I, I'm uh, happy they did that. You know, you're writing, you're writing new songs to the golden life, but were there any songs that like, Maybe you started, you guys started working on for No Change in the Weather that kind of ended up on this one that were maybe ideas you had on that last record that kind of, you know, came into this one at all? Um, I want to say that we might have revisited a couple of things that we did, but nothing nothing made the record that, that, uh, that we had done in the past. There were a few songs that we had been writing after No Change in the Weather that we thought would be towards the next record that didn't make it as as well either um i think once we started writing like i said once we had time to go into this our own practice space and and jam on a regular basis the stuff we wrote a year and a half two years ago just wasn't as we didn't feel was as good as what we were currently writing so we just kind of kept rolling with it and just kept put you know writing new stuff almost every every session we had and and um you know eventually in the end it seemed like some of the more later songs were the ones we ended up using more than some of the stuff from, but we still have probably a handful of songs, I guess in a vault that, uh, who knows? Like fully finished or ideas? Uh, finished songs. Yeah. Songs recorded, finished, you know, lyrics, backups, everything. Oh, nice. Yeah. Is there, I mean, is there a, would you say there's like a general way that a poly song gets written? I mean, is there a, I don't know if you want to say formula, but I mean, is it just kind of normally you all get in a, you know, get in the space and jam it out? Or like, is there a particular way that a Poli song normally gets written, would you say? Well, I think it's evolved over the years. And where we are currently at with it, the last handful of records, couple of records, um, I play drums. 
and Mike, the guitar player, obviously plays guitar. And we we seem to work well together in that formula where we the initial very bare bones of it, where we start kind of structuring things. And, and we spent a lot of time trying to work around vocals. Um, we used to write a lot of musical riffs in the past and, and it would try to almost write a complete song and say, oh, that's easy to sing over. And then I'd go back and I'd, I'd start trying to write stuff over it and be like, man, yeah, it sounds cool musically, but I don't know what I'm going to sing. So being part of that process with him and, and the fact that I can play drums a little bit, it kind of helps us be able to get through a song. And, and if we're not feeling something from the, from the get-go, we don't waste our time with it. And it just it's really sped up the process and trimmed the fat a lot on wasting time. And at this point in our lives, you know, with work and families and whatnot, it, it, it's not that it's like super valuable, but it helps to go in the studio with an idea and some sort of direction. And we just eliminate all the waste because we could go in there and jam for five hours and, and really get nowhere. But like I said, when we're trying to structure things around vocals, I think it kind of helps the process and it, myself and him we've we've kind of seemed to work well together in that in that aspect the last couple of records that doesn't mean the other guys don't have input but we just try to get you know a chunk of it done so by the time we present it to the other guys we kind of have some some content there you have something there that's interesting because yeah. i don't feel like all singers have that where you can like having that drum side where you can go in there because i see what you're saying that makes sense being able to have both sides of that it's good because you can go in ahead of time and having that knowledge you can kind of go well, i still got to sing over this which is probably not something the drummers think you know if you're a drummer you, you might not normally think of that and then vice versa with the singer so that's kind of nice you have like both ends of that which one came which one came first for you drums or singing well, i played drums early on uh even in the very first incarnation of any band i was ever in uh oh, really? some stuff on mystic records um you know way back in the mid 80s i i actually played drums and and uh i think the first thing we ever did was a nardcore compilation and i actually played drums on it and then our singer when we were 15 at the time our singer goes on vacation with his family and the studio calls and says hey we need you to get down here and record vocals on this these two tracks well our singer's out of town we don't we don't have a singer they said well someone needs to come down here and sing it so i volunteered and <clears throat> and that's kind of the way it worked. Um, and then over the years, I learned how to play guitar, and and uh, I still try to learn how to sing. But uh, and 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 I can somewhat keep a beat. So I have a little bit of musical background, but drums are definitely what started it off for me. Yeah, that's really cool. I love I love how you just kind of fell into singing. I mean, had your had your I, singer been in town, we may not be we may not be doing this interview right now, or we would, but you're the drummer. We'd be we'd be talking all about drums right now. It's funny how that works. Yeah, that's what happened thirty some odd years ago. Wow. Yeah. So so for the Golden Life, I mean, where uh, where did you end up recording this? Where was the uh, record recorded? We recorded the drums locally here in in. Uh, in Los Angeles area at a studio, spent two days, just tracked the drums. And then the guy we worked with, <clears throat> excuse me, he, uh, he lives in Las Vegas and has a really nice studio set up in his house and basically just went there for a couple of weeks and guitar players went and did their thing. Bass player did his thing. And then I did my thing and the record was done. Wow. I mean, cause we were talking about it a second ago, like with the process and everything, it sounds like you go in there and you probably know the songs. Like you weren't going in studio and like, writing half the record 
when you got there. It sounds like you kind of went in and already knew what everyone's parts and kind of things were going to be like once you got to studio. Oh yeah. Um, which is not just with rehearsals, but you know, we all have our own little home studios and every time we would rehearse these songs, we would record them, take them home for the week and uh, everybody would do their part and be able to jam on it and, and figure out what they want to do. And um, they're, they were pretty well worked out. We, we don't waste time. No, that's, that's valuable time and money. And uh, we just want to get in and get it done. I was called- it. Sorry. I just missed that. What's it called? Pre-production. <laughs> well, that's, it kind of goes in. Cause I was going to ask you that. Like, I'm always interested because you kind of get both, but like, are, are you not someone who enjoys like the hours and hours of being in a studio and tweaking things and trying to get like that perfect tone or that perfect thing? Or you, you just kind of, I think you just answered it, but I mean, just more of get your stuff done beforehand, get in there and get it recorded. Well, the spontaneity that happens in a studio is going to happen to every band and every musician that ever records. It's always going to happen. Someone's going to throw an idea for you on the spot. That's a given. But do you want to spend hours or do you want to spend days? And, and you know, unfortunately, we, we only can afford hours. So we, we, we know that that's going to happen. And there's always room for that, that growth when you're in the studio to, to make those tweaks. But to go spend, you know, days and weeks of, you know, trying to write songs and, and paste together, we, that's, not, that's never been our style, no. I would say most punk bands will tell you that you get a certain amount of time from beginning to end and you got to get it in there. Um, maybe back in the day, Jethro Toll or some of those big bands would go rent a studio for three, four months and Motley Crue and do their thing, you know, but that's never been our case. No, I wish that'd be fun, but no. At the same time too, I feel like it might, you know, I've also had this conversation where like, cause some people do love that just spending, which again, you're right. If you can have the luxury of doing that, but like there is, there is another part of it where it's like, would it be good? Would a Poli album be good if you spent like you know, seven months in it, you know what I mean? Like just, just reworking songs nonstop and just trying to like continue, you know what I mean? Like go so far away from your first idea. That's not always good for a band. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be good if Foley spent a lot of time on stuff. My, my, well, my personal opinion is most of the time what comes out of your gut right off, right off the bat is kind of, kind of usually what you end up going back to after you work out a ton of stuff anyway. Um, <laughs> That, that just seems to be the way it works for me. Um, I know that usually like the first idea that I get, whether I'm writing a riff on guitar or a melody in my head for singing, I might try other things, but most of the time I'm going back to that original idea because what you first, your first instincts are a lot of times the best, you know? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, and like you were saying too, it's like, it's, it's getting this stuff done ahead of, t- you know, you're still kind of working on it, shooting ahead you're not you're spending hours not days kind of kind of thing like you were talking about earlier which it's a big difference hours versus days going in the studio is nerve-wracking for any band it's 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 like a there's anxiety there's a excitement you know and, and the more prepared you are the easier and smoother it'll be because there's so many things there's so many unexpected roads that open up when you're in the studio like wow, I never really knew he played that, or I didn't know he played that kick pattern. And and so when we record these things leading into the studio, going into the studio, and we have all this time to play back, and I, I sung these songs probably, you know, a couple hundred times before I ever had to do it again in the studio. So for me, it wasn't like I was doing it for the first time, which I've done before in the past, and 
it's difficult, you know? And, and then you listen back months later and you're like, damn, man, why'd I do that? And you're stuck with it forever. Um, so having the time and luxury ahead of time. And like I said, with the advent of home studios now, anybody can do this and there's no reason to not be prepared. But I don't know if being in a studio would make it a better record for, you know, months on end. I really yeah. don't. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I know on the new record too, you know, you have your new drummer, Sean and uh, guitarist Trey, or at least new in the sense of, I believe this is their first record with the yeah. band. How did, uh, how did both of them end up joining Poli? How did that all kind of come about? Um, well, Sean's been kind of a fill-in drummer for, uh, for live shows dating back to, you know, probably 2012, 2013. Oh, it's been a Pretty good familiarity with him. And, um, he, he just kind of came on board, uh, with time on his hands and, uh, the ability to be able to make the commitment. Um, the other drummer we had in the past kind of had a heavy schedule, a new child, um, you know, he plays in another band as well that tours, uh, he has a job, um, and it just, things didn't line up. Um, so when it was time to kind of start coming up with a schedule and we said, well, we need to have rehearsals. We need to have this recording time. It just wasn't going to jive and it, it worked for Sean. And then with Trey, um, he replaced our former guitar player, Jim, who after our last time of touring would have been, I guess, 2019. 2000, yeah, I guess 2019, um, he had some personal issues that kept him away for a while and we needed Trey to fill in and do some shows and it just kind of kind of kept rolling with him. And he'd been a longtime friend for 30 plus years. So um, he's, it just seemed like a natural fit for both guys, you know, being part of the family and, and having already known them and, and worked with them, it just made it easy for us. That's kind of nice, too, because, I mean, even, again, I mean, first record with the band, but they've been around so long. That's not like you're still getting – it doesn't sound like you're getting accommodated with each other and stuff. You've played with each other for so long that I'm, I'm sure it's not like getting – you know, you're not getting acquainted with anything. You know Sean's drumming. You know you know his, his guitar playing and stuff, you know. As people as well, which is kind of huge for us. Um, you know, for the limited time we do get to do things, we want it to be fun. I mean, this – it is a job, but it's not a job that we rely on to pay bills. So when we do go out and have the opportunity to play, we want it to sound good, number one, but we also want to kind of get along with the people we're with. So that's an important component as well. And, and they're just, it was a no brainer. They're an easy fit. So, and, and it's not to say that the people we've played with in the past, we don't think we have issues with anybody we've played with in the past. It was just the timing of everything and how it all kind of came to a head and what worked out this go around. I, I mean, I think they both work well in the band. Again, I, I think the record the record sounds great. They seem to be a, a a good fit. I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about the recording of this one. You know, the, them being a two two big like new things on it. But was there anything else like for recording the Golden Life that was like different? You would say from a typical like pulley recording session. Was there anything on this one that was either new or just something you don't normally do when recording? I don't know if there was anything we wouldn't normally do while recording. Um, I can't, I don't, nothing that drastic. Um, and, and, you know, just the, I think this might probably be the first time that every guy in the band actually had a, his own home studio. So we would, we would rehearse Friday, Saturdays and we would go through, you know, when we, in the beginning we had two, three, four songs, we'd record them. The next time we jam, we'd go through those two, three, four songs again add another one 
And every week we kept adding songs. So every week we kept recording and updating these fresh recordings. And, you know, Sean would work out his parts. Mike and Trey would work out their parts. And that's kind of how it evolved. And I think the ability to take it home with you for a week and work on it on your own and then bring it back and, and really know your parts was probably a big step for us in, in, the, in, in the whole process, you know, of recording and, you know, the pre-recording and the, and the songwriting aspect of it where, you know, like Trey might come with a riff, uh, you know, from one week to the next, but hey, I, I kind of came up with this riff over this part and it sounds amazing, but he had the ability at home to do that a hundred times looping in his head, you know, which, <clears throat> like I said, in the past, I don't know if everybody had their own home studio, so it wasn't really like that. So that that's probably the only biggest difference was the ability to, to work things out a little bit more on our own time rather than doing it all together at once. You know, to the the other thing I, you know, like I was talking earlier, the set list, just like, you know, you've been a band for so long, you have such a big back catalog. Like when you're writing a Poli record, you know, just current day, I mean, do you, it, it has to be an interesting thing because do you, do you go in writing, writing a new record, comparing it to past work? You try to go in without, you know what I mean? Like, is there in your head when you're writing a record, is there a sound that you think a pulley record has to sound like or should sound like, or do you not try to think about that stuff? Is it, is it, you know, you don't think of the back catalog or we have to do it this way or we have to sound that way. You know, how, how is that this far into the band writing new music? There's no conscious effort of saying, you know, we have to be a certain direction. We, we have our musical tastes and, and what we, and I know my style of writing is different than Mike's. Um, you know, Trey added a few songs to this record, which, was a nice different twist for us, but all kind of in that same vein. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, being a fan of music and, and not to be, uh, I don't want to solo myself out because I sing, but being a fan of all kinds of music, I always identify with vocals. And I think it's hard to kind of, regardless of the, the tempo of the song or the, the direction of the song, it's that same guy singing it. I think it's going to be identified with, you know, a pulley song. And, oh, yeah. and and um, so, you know, the styles that, that, that we have, you know, we, we, we write fast melodic music. That's what we enjoy writing and that's what comes out of us. So I guess that's why, you know, from record to record to record, you'll, you'll see some sort of continuity, some, you'll hear the similarity um, because it's our style. And, but it's not a conscious effort. It's just kind of who we are. It just kind of comes out that way. Comes out that way. <laughs> Uh, you know, I I want to like kind of just talk about too, like your beginnings. You know, we're talking about like drumming and singing and stuff. What about punk rock? Like, where where does punk start for you? Where where did you kind of find the genre? Where where does that all come into play? When I started junior high, which was or middle school, whatever they call it nowadays, it was seventh grade. I remember at lunchtime seeing these guys with uh, Converse high tops. And uh, these homemade shirts had a big DK on the back for the dead Kennedys. And they were like older guys. They were in ninth grade. I was in seventh grade. So, and I, I was pretty familiar with music. So I don't know exactly what year, but sometime in the early eighties. And I started kind of getting attracted towards that. And there was an abandoned swimming pool by my house at this former, like, like a park type pool. And we drained it out, me and the kids in the street, and we were skating it. And once the word got out in our small town that there was this pool, all these guys started coming and most of them were like, you know, shaved heads and dyed hair. 
so that's kind of how I got, uh, I knew it was kind of something, you know, and I knew it was correlated with the scene that I was into, which was at the time was skating. So I just, I guess I felt like, well, that's what I'm supposed to listen to. And they would bring, you know, ghetto blasters with cassette tapes and they'd be playing music. And some of the guys were pretty cool. And I'd ask them, you know, who's this, what's that? And, and this is back in a time when, you know, I didn't have money to go to a store and buy records, but people could make you tapes. There was no internet. There was no magazines. It was just all word of mouth by these guys that I went to school with. And that's kind of where it started for me between school and that abandoned pool where people were skating is my uh, introduction to being exposed to punk rock. So you were skateboarding before punk rock. You were, you were skateboarding and then found punk. Yeah. I was, had a skateboard when I was probably in first grade. So I mean, Oh damn, you were, you've been skateboarding like your whole life. I mean, I put around, I wouldn't d- define skateboarding, you know? <laughs> okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Um, you, the other thing too, I mean, like you said, you were, you were into music before punk rock. Like what, what was your kind of scene? Like, what were you listening to before you found punk? What, what would we find on those mixtapes or what would you be listening to pre punk rock? Um, you know, when you're little, I think you're exposed to whatever your parents have, um, flipping through the radio stations. I, I discovered FM radio. Um, I, I heard some of that. Uh, I, there was a neighbor across the street from me. who was an older kid, about five, six years older than me. And he turned me on to like queen Ted Nugent, um, kiss. This would have been in like the mid to late seventies. Oh, perfect time for all that. Uh huh. And then, uh, yeah, and then I guess like, you know, Sabbath and all that kind of, that vein of music just kind of came in fold with it all. And then I guess by the time the early 80s, 80s rolled around, it was, um, I was part of this, like, uh, I found Rebellion, and that that just was a perfect fit. Nice, nice. I mean, the, I mean, the, I feel like the big three with you that people think, you know, music, skateboarding, baseball, where's baseball in all of that? Where does Where does that all kind of start for you? I mean, you know, the same. I, I played baseball when I was younger growing up, um, you know, Little League and all that. And and then when I got into, like, you know, those late junior high, early high school years, baseball was kind of probably third in line. And um, I, I don't know where, somewhere around 11th grade for me, I guess it would have been about 16, 17 years old, it just kind of started clicking where I, I changed positions. I became a pitcher. And I started having success for the first time, like, like, like real success in, in baseball. I wasn't just another guy on the team, but I was, man, I'm, I think I'm better than a lot of these guys as a pitcher. And, um, and I kind of started taking it seriously my senior year. And that's kind of when it really started taking off for me. And I really took it a little more seriously, you know, realized, man, I might be able to go to college or, and then I found that I might have an opportunity to play pro ball, you know, maybe out of high school. So that kind of really motivated me and, 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 bumped the enthusiasm quite a bit towards the commitment, you know, to pushing myself in that, 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 that area. Now I, uh, I mean, I can't skateboard, I can't play baseball, but I, I, I was thinking about this, like, do you, is there any overlap? Would you say like, are there any skills from skateboarding that you feel like you can bring over to playing baseball or vice versa? I mean, I feel like from where I'm standing, they seem very different, but maybe there's not, maybe there are certain, you know, I don't know, skill sets or things you would do, in where if you're good at this in skateboarding, it does bleed in into uh, you know baseball. Is there any of that? Would you say? 
Well, I, I've never really thought of it, to be honest with you. People normally ask, you know, the music, baseball. They never really asked about skating. And, and you know, the, my first thought is physically, there's really not a lot of comparison other than maybe the balance, um, you know, that you, you would take. Um, but, you know, thinking about the mental side of it, you know, skating's a, it's a solo type sport. And even though baseball is a team sport, being a pitcher, it's a solo job. And you're kind of by yourself. You're in control of your own, what you're doing. And it's similar to skateboarding. And, and there's a lot of failure in both. A lot of falling down, a lot of picking yourself back up. So I guess that would be a comparison right there is, you know, kind of learning how to like get yourself back up off the mat, you know, after being knocked down. You're probably not great the first time around. That's probably like I remember. It's you're going to be bad for a while. It sounds it, like it, until you're good. It takes a while just to suck, you know? <laughs> to yeah. even get you sucking, it's going to take a while to get to that. Oh, man. Um, as far as, like, you know, singing, skateboarding, baseball, that kind of stuff, like, what one would you say is the least unforgiving when not doing it for a while? Which one do you feel like when you kind of put it down for a minute and you go back to do it, what what one do you can you really tell? Oh, I'm a little rusty, or if you don't keep up on this, you kind of you kind of lose the agility on it. Is there is there one you lose it on more than the other? Would you say? I would say it's pretty equal across the board. Um, you know, they're both. If if I hadn't thrown a baseball in a while and I picked the baseball and tried throwing it, one it would hurt, um, and and I'd be sore and I probably wouldn't be very good. Um, and, you know, I, I know I can get on a skateboard and roll around, but if I try to, like, do any kind of transition or something and I fall, it's going to hurt. I'm going to be sore and I'm not going to be very good. So it's pretty comparable in, in that sense. If you uh, put it down for a while and don't do it, I think they're both high risk. <laughs> <laughs> be careful. Make sure you stretch first before you do any of them kind of thing. Um, you know, also, like, I mean, you you just do so much and and, like, I, I was wondering this too, because again, you just, you, you're known for many things. People know you, you know, obviously, I mean, Polly's how I know you. I love your music and everything, but you're just, you do so much and it's amazing. What about like time managing and juggling that stuff? Has that ever been an issue? Because you, you're not just a singer. You're not just a baseball player. You know, you also, you, you know, you had the skateboard museum, you had on top of a family and stuff like you do a lot. Has that ever been an issue of juggling all these things was that was that hard to ever get the footing of doing all this or i mean have you just kind of all been you know been able to always juggle that stuff and make everything like work on top of each other i mean this probably sounds crazy but i really don't do that much um and time management has been super easy because i've had a schedule i'm gonna work from this month to this month i'm gonna work and that's what i do and people who work and have families well, you figure that out. You know how to exist and do both. Um, and then when baseball season was over, well, it was time to have opportunity to do some stuff with the band. Um, you know, if I had four or five months off, it's not like we were touring for every day of that. You know, we'd a couple weeks here, come home for a month and a half, maybe go out for another week. It's not like, you know, 24-7 gone. Um you know, I, I don't think it's really any different than any other person who, uh, you know, who works, goes to work, comes home, has a family, has kids, does whatever he does on the weekends. It's it's kind of like the time you spend when you are at home with your family is is important, and and what you put into it is important. Um, you know, and then when I was when I'd go to work, I'd go to work, and when I'd go to the band practice, I go to band practice. So um, 
it's really never been difficult for me at all because I feel like the schedule has kind of made it easy to deal with. It's not like I'm trying to juggle all these things at once. I only had certain times to do it. So, so it was easy to kind of just focus on one thing at a time. That makes sense. Throwing a family in there, like I said, is no different than any other human being. So for me that, I mean, anybody who's got a family knows how challenging that is, you know, whether it be with a band or whether it be with, you know, a regular job or whatnot. So, um, but I've been lucky. Um, like I said, I've been lucky and it, it just seems like things have been laid out and I've had these seasons that I deal with, if that makes sense. No, it does, but it is interesting. Cause I mean, again, from an outside perspective, like you just look at it, at everything you've done. It's like, that's a lot to juggle. Just being a singer in a band's a lot to juggle, but to like throw it all in, but it does make sense. And also I never thought of the kind of the similarity in that way where I guess, you know, where you'd be every night if you're going on a two month tour. And also, you know, you're going to be every night if you're, like out for the season like you, I, I guess there is that you know it is kind of structured a little more than uh than i may, totally, I may think of. totally structured and and uh whether i want to spend the night in pittsburgh or or berlin it's it's i know where i'm gonna be exactly like you said nice nice so you know as we close this up you know we have we have a great new poly record to listen to um anything else we should be on the lookout for from the band uh this year uh, as far as putting out music, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but I know we have some good shows lined up, and and still have Western Canada to do, a little bit of stuff in Europe, and uh, some stuff here at home as well. Um, I mean, just appreciative of everybody who who still follows it and listens to it, and and has good things to say about it, and hope that uh, if you do get the opportunity, you know, you can check it out and and make your own opinion on what you think of uh of the new music but I, I know it was fun for us to to write it it was fun to record it and it's really fun to like listen back to it so i, I mean I, I think we all hope it's the same for everyone no i i think uh i think what came out was great as a poly fan i mean it's it's a it's what you know and love from the band but it's not a rehash it, it sounds fresh like it sounds like a poly record in 2022 but whenever you liked Poli, no matter when you liked him, I think you're going to find something on the uh, on the record that you like. So, I mean, props props to that. It was a it was a good one, not thank a stinker. There. It's a good record. Uh, thank But uh, you know, as we close this out, where can uh, where can we get the new record? Where can we find the band online? Where we stay connected with you? You know, like like all that all that good stuff. Where do we now stay connected with Poli and get the great new record? Um, well, it's out on Spam Records. I know they have some distribution going on around the world. So uh, I would start with Spam first and find out where it's in, in your individual region, uh, you know, where it can be uh, purchased if, if wanted to be purchased or downloaded or whatever. Um, we, we have a, there's an Instagram at Pulley Matters and there's also a Facebook uh, Pulley Matters, I think it's called. But uh, we update that pretty regularly, you know, try to get something up there once or twice a week. And that's pretty much what we have. I don't think we have a website going anymore. Um, that just seemed to be kind of obsolete. So we yeah, still not many bands have websites now, I feel like. I feel like that's like went away. That in MySpace, yeah. Well, we got Facebook and Instagram, so we're, that's where we're at. Yep. We'll find, people can find, you can find Poli online. You can find that, uh, you can find that record. It yeah. is, uh. No, it has been uh, really fun. Again, this the uh, new record's really good. If you're, uh, we'll play a couple songs off it now. Ironically, if you're listening to the radio show, we have a shorter show tonight because we have a baseball game going on uh, oh. here in town. So, so our show's actually cut short two and a half hours because of the baseball game. 
But uh, anyway, <laughs> but uh, it was fun. And uh, ironically, you know, talking to talking to Scott feels like a, a good one for that. But we've been talking to Scott Radinsky of Poli right here on the Power Court Hour.
Right here on the Power Court Hour podcast, off Foley's latest record, The Golden Life. That was You'll Be Lonely Someday, and before that was Sad Song. I want to thank Scott Rudninsky once again for doing that interview. That was very fun. You know, I wish I knew more about, like, baseball and stuff because, I mean, I, there's so much you can talk to Scott about. I mean, I know Scott mainly from Poli, but I mean, you almost can't talk about him without bringing up. I mean, you know, he, which I mean, is an amazing thing being an MLB relief pitcher. I mean, that is, uh, that is insane. You know, that is really cool. And, uh, you know, if I knew more about sports, I probably would have went down that road more. But, you know, as you could probably tell my baseball questions, well, I did want to ask a few fairly vague, you know, kind of, kind of general baseball questions. I just don't know enough about the, uh, about the sport. But uh, I do know a thing or two about Poli, and I know they just wrote a really, really good record. So uh, go grab The Golden Life. It is a uh, excellent album. I'd love to go see them live. I've never, uh, you know, I kind of got into them. I know they, I know they kind of do things on and off and here and there. I mean, you know, they're an active band, but they're not like a, you know, release a record every two years, go tour constantly kind of a band. But I kind of randomly got into them probably like 2014. I want to say like somewhere there. So, I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, for as long as they've been around, I've been a fan for not a very long time. But, uh, you know, I I love everything they've done. But uh, I think this new one is just excellent. But, yeah, like I was saying, though, I've I've never seen them live. And I think I kind of got – I got into them around a time. I don't know that they were particularly playing a lot or actually if they were playing at all. I know it was before the uh, 2016 record. And, uh, you know, so – but they seem like a band who would be amazing live. Like just the energy of those songs – it's almost like that band, without even trying, would probably just be an amazing show. So, uh, you know, if Poli is coming to your town this year, and there's a chance it's going to happen, it sounds like. You know, we didn't announce anything, but sounds like it could happen. So go see them, because that's going to be a good time. But uh, that is going to be the show for this week. Like I said, I'll be back in like a day or two with uh, my interview with Danny and David of the band No Win. They got a new record called Dodger Stadium coming out in just a few weeks. So uh, we'll play a few songs off that, get you ready for that album. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And that's going to be a, uh, like I said, the interview's already done, and it was a really fun interview. And uh, they wrote, I don't know, I mean, again, I'm not, I won't get too ahead of myself. You'll hear it uh, in a couple days. But I mean, like, I really like their last record, Downey, which was really their debut record. But uh, this one, like, and you can go listen, go listen before, uh, before this interview, because they do have a, it's amazing. It's the greatest title. It's called the enhanced CD EP. And that's been out for a couple months. And, uh, that has three songs that are on the new record coming out. And, uh, it literally sounds like the year 2001. And I mean that in the best way possible, like in, in the best way. I mean, that as a huge compliment. It sounds like the year 2001. And that's exactly what they were going for. And uh, we talk all about that. But uh, I would definitely say go listen to it. But, like, I loved what they did on the first record, but I think they outdid themselves on this one. It's uh, it's going to be a good time. So check that out in just a couple days. Uh, follow us online at Power Chord Hour on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Go subscribe to our YouTube page if you would. That'd be rad of you. Uh, what else? Uh, wherever you're listening to this, please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps a lot. If you want to listen to the radio show, we got new ones every Friday night, 8 to midnight Eastern on 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. If you are not here in Jamestown, you can still listen. Just go to WRFALP.com slash streaming. You can listen there worldwide. And, uh, oh, what else? Um, 
powercordhour at gmail.com. You want to hit me up there for uh, anything. I do have free powercord hour stickers. We'll, would love to send you some. You can hit me up there, powercordhour at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, always kind of looking for uh, show sponsors. So hit me up there as well if uh, you got something you're trying to sponsor. Uh, you know, I, I work cheap. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I guess that is it. Check back in a couple days for the no-win interview. And until then, for the Power Court Hour podcast, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thank you so much for listening.